Hello, this is Katherine Cunningham. Thank you for joining us for the Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. Is it true? Is there really a culture revolution happening? Are there real rumblings of a new bioeconomy? Well, we inherently know that we're connected to one another and to the natural world. We also know that we suffer emotionally, biophysically, socially, and economically when we disconnect from nature. Yet, we've advanced our human civilization in competition with nature, extracting Earth resources as if they were infinite, polluting our ecosystems as if they were too big to fail, and exploiting wildlife as if extinction was only a dinosaur myth from the past. Now, as too many people are taking too much from nature without giving back, we're driving the biosphere to the edge of collapse. We've already altered three-fourths of the planet, risking not only the well-being of other plants and animals, but risking our own homo sapien wise human species. Now, we need a new cultural narrative. We need to advance our human civilization in collaboration with nature. We need to grow our global economy, our societies and businesses with a clear commitment to conserve nature and to recover ecosystem integrity. A new deal for nature and people now seems to require not just protection, but regeneration of degraded, damaged and developed systems. The good news is that business opportunities to adopt this New Deal narrative are infinite in this new bio-based economy. And as 44 trillion US dollars, or half the GDP of the planet, are dependent on healthy, thriving ecosystems, businesses can't afford to wait. Investors in the future of business and businesses themselves must adapt and include nature in their calculations or risk their own demise. So it's clearly time to evolve. And what can we do? Well, we can listen to my interview with Marco Lambertini, Director General of WWF International, and find out how it's time to evolve. This is Katherine Cunningham from Natural Intelligence Media. I'm here at Eurovision, and I am with Marco Lambertini, who is the Director General of WWF International. Hi, Katherine. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for being part of the annual meeting for the World Economic Forum, um, where, again, we have featured the important topic of nature. And uh, I know there's a lot of discussions about nature-based solutions for climate change, the New Deal for nature. Maybe you could just share with us first why this particular community is really featuring this topic. Why, why do the business people care? Well, first of all, <laughs> the business is the source of the majority of the footprint on our planet, including the unprecedented loss of nature that we've been witnessing in the last few decades. And we're talking really about a few decades when actually our impact has accelerated to a level that is just unprecedented on the planet. So this is the audience that could turn from being a problem to actually be part of the solution. And although all the indicators of the state of the planet are still heading in the wrong direction, I have to say there is a growing clarity in what we need to do and growing awareness of the consequences of losing nature and altering the climate. By the way, nature and climate are the two sides of the same ecological challenge of today. And we're beginning to see action emerging from business sectors, particularly investment sector, insurance sectors, commodity sectors. So it's an interesting time. Never been worse for nature and the environment, but actually we've never seen so much response 
growing and developing. Why are we waking up now? And <laughs> I guess, can you give us some examples of how the business community yeah. is really showing up? What are sure. some of the actions that people are committing to? Right. So first of all, I mean, why we're waking up now? I mean, humans are ingenious in so many ways, but we are so bad in foreseeing uh, consequences of our acts. And so we got to really hit the problem before we develop a response. And I think what is changing in the last few years uh, from before is that now the evidence of the impact is so clear. And what we see happening around us in terms of climate, in terms of ocean depletion, in terms of forest fires and deforestation, extinction, all this kind of stuff that is now in front of everybody's eyes. This is evidence now and that is triggering a response yes uh, the new nature economy this is a really i think fundamental step which reflects also cultural change in looking at nature not just as something that we have of course the moral responsibility to protect because we coexist with a lot of other life forms on the planet we don't own and so we should somehow be the stewards of those uh, being the dominant species on the planet but also because people are not just sad anymore about nature loss people are worried and that concern that worrying is triggering a behavioral change is the only option that we have to trigger a behavioral change so we got to the point now where actually we're beginning to understand that conserving nature is not just for the tigers the pandas the bees that we all love is actually for us is fundamental for us are we making the connections now i guess as the community you mentioned bees are people becoming more and more aware that if we don't have bee pollination we're not going yeah. to you know have our honey we're not going to be able to you know produce fruit in our fruit orchards is this the kind of connection that you're seeing people are making is that we're actually witnessing how our lives are potentially changing i think people are connecting more directly with the climate because the impact of climate is more tangible droughts floods winds, storms, More dramatic. Uh, fires, and the impact is actually on our lives directly. It costs money, it kills people, it affects livelihoods. So on climate, I think we're really getting that. That's why we are seeing so much response towards climate, so much anger, so much strong demand from society to deal with the climate change crisis issue, <laughs> because it's so tangible. We understand it's actually dangerous for us. On nature, is slightly less tangible yet. But for example, the forest fires in Australia I was just gonna are say. a classic example of the connection between yes. what climate can do to nature and what nature loss can do to people. And right. so now, really, we have connected the three dimensions, nature, climate, and people. That, I have to say, is an historic moment. It's almost a cultural revolution. We've been taking nature for granted until yesterday because you know as a species as humanity we grew up in a dominant rich huge dominant nature but now the nature is shrinking because of our activities forests are less and less color reefs are impacted rivers are polluted and all the rest pollinators and biodiversity is disappearing then is becoming an issue relevant to people and that's where the response is coming from which is exciting and paradoxical but, but actually we need to capitalize on this particular moment well it's sad to say that we need an australian wildfire to right. also demonstrate that it's a way that <coughs> one can very fast decimate the ecological heritage of the forests is it when people are concerned about biodiversity loss is it is it really the loss of the natural heritage you know, the koala bears and, and the, the kangaroos that your children aren't going to be able to see? Or do we really understand that, you know, the, that the base of the food chain, right. if, if we don't have plankton, you know, then we don't have all the, the, the access to the, the right. seafood or the coral reefs, that it's not just about losing these beautiful environments, but it's also, it's a whole community that's, yeah, that's not, being lost. Yeah, not as clearly as we should. So we don't understand that 
yet as clearly as we should and I think we're still uh, focusing a lot on charismatic iconic species and bees are themselves a charismatic positive species that people connect with clearly and easily but actually you know biodiversity as you say biodiversity are the worms that keeps our soil fertile and and productive biodiversity are the fish that we are eating and 500 million people depend on for their livelihoods and so many more depends for their healthy diets and the protein intake so biodiversity is so much more than actually what we normally tend to refer to and that's something that we are beginning just to, to understand. And that's where actually a, a major communication effort needs to happen to make sure that all life on Earth is considered fundamental to the balance of the planet, not just the rich and famous. <laughs> Basically, um, uh, all of us, I, I would say, and you can see this actually quite clearly in the children, all of us instinctively connects to nature. Yes. Because nature has been dominant part of our history as a species is in our genes really that's why we bring plants into our flats give flowers to our boyfriend or girlfriend uh, we we do we use nature all the time as proxy of of greatness of beauty of, of health wealth um, and uh, uh, pets you know pets <laughs> bring animals close to us you know um, because we need the contact And that's so strong, and this is a foundation that we need to build on, because as we grow up in life, with our own modern life, and we tend to disconnect. And by disconnecting, however, we suffer. And, and all the issues of mental health in big cities and, uh, are connected actually to a deprivation, of, to a lack of contact with nature. And what we need to really begin to understand is that aside our passion or our moral, uh, ethical feelings about respecting life, which, of course, in WWF we feel very strongly about, We need to actually look at nature as something indispensable for us. Something that you think your kids need to have around them for their own fulfillment and, and enjoyment, but also because otherwise the planet and the environment they will live in will be much worse. Right. Uh, and actually, in fact, dangerous at some point. It's sort I, of a question of survival. Uh, it is a question. Nature is a question of survival as well as quality of our lives. Absolutely, and biophysically as well. What always fascinates me <coughs> is that if our bodies are comprised of 10 trillion human cells, actually, we also have 100 trillion different bacterial <laughs> cells, yeah. foreign cells in our body that are different species that live and breathe and drive our hormonal processes, drive uh, our emotions. Yeah. And so we are of the earth. We actually right. can't go off planet and live off planet. We are intimately tied. And you mentioned also our connection to species. It's also biological in the sense that if you look at now that we can, you know, code the human genome and we can look at other species and look at the patterns, the genetic patterns of different species, we can see that there's you know, a huge crossover, even for like the first chordata, I know I'm speaking to another biologist, so, you know, the, the sea squirt, the first chordata, shares with us 87% oh yeah. Oh yeah. of our DNA. Right. But even a plant chordata. shares about half of our DNA. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. See, I plants, learned something. Uh, yeah. So, you know, of course, so there is a link. So it's extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? I was just uh, listening to Jeremy Rifkin last night, and he, he said that this generation, the Greta Thunberg generation, that they are really so connected with the fact that they are part of a, a species, a homo sapien wise hominoid species, and that this species is threatened, and that all their actions, you know, forward have to be about protecting our species within the context of the biosphere. So this biosphere thinking, 
this uh, thinking about us as a species and not different cultures or individuals, but really living on a shared planet as a shared community. This is a this is an ethic that seems to be really picking up speed. Can you talk to that? No, no, it is an ethic, but uh, but you know, I mean, the strongest, perhaps, more deeply rooted instinct is survival instinct. Yes. And so, if we are able for people to realize that until now we've been surviving competing with nature and developing at the expenses of nature that's how we've been ravaging the planet and using wastefully and unsustainably natural resources until now our survival instinct has been in the direction of competing and exploiting nature but now because we are so dominant and because we are actually pushing nature to a point of no return and collapse of ecosystems our survival instinct needs to be retuned towards conserving nature and being stewards and sustainably using nature in order to fulfill our survival objective. That's really the, the, the cultural revolution that we're going through, and we're still in the middle of that transition. It is more psychology and anthropology than actually you know, politics, but actually you see the reaction of the young people as just, as you said, they're really angry for what's happening because they feel themselves threatened. Yes. They see their future being threatened and stolen. And it is. And it is. But but that awareness is really recent. Because yes. until now, you know, all the you know, we knew that we were impacting the planet, but we were always thinking, you know, long term and yes. never been sure. And of course a lot of the dark forces around all this, they were seeding the doubt, you know, maybe not true, you know, maybe maybe it's not that serious, nature is so strong, you know. How can we really drive the ocean to collapse? Are you kidding me? The ocean is impossible. Yeah, we're not so the grand weather, species, the climate, how you know, could we how have can this we possibly these are also part of the tactics, unfortunately, that in the last couple of decades, particularly, you know, certain sectors <laughs> that were interested in not having this narrative emerge, pushed through the media, and it's still happening today to some extent. But now the writing is on the wall. We are destroying nature at the rate that will become soon dangerous for us. Right. Even if you don't care about the pandas, you should care about yourself and your children. And interesting, it feels like we just got blindsided by the fact that we have such loss that the extinction rate has been a thousand times greater than any other time in history and 60% of mammalian wildlife gone? Yeah, I mean, how is that possible? Well, it's possible over because we have such a powerful way to alter the environment. The UN report on the state of the planet launched last May is talking about we have altered three quarters of the planet and right. we have lost half of the natural places on the planet already. So, I mean, this is massive. This is just unprecedented. And it's something that as soon as we're beginning to realize the scale of this, then a concern is arising. And that's super important to drive innovation, behavioral change, and, and driving our behaviors and consumption production models towards sustainability. That's actually the challenge. The challenge is, is exactly that, is understanding that unless we change our lifestyles at all levels, and particularly, of course, in the countries that are more responsible because they have a higher level of uh, pro capita consumption, obviously the, the richest economies, unless we change our lifestyle towards a more sustainable, moderate, and, and non-wasteful, way of producing and consuming, we're not going to win this this battle. Right. And so that's fundamental. But the good news is oh, that plenty there of good news. are plenty of good news. <laughs> plenty of good news. Is that it's not so difficult to change certain aspects of your life that actually improve your own health and well-being. Yeah, and here in Davos, you know, so talking to the business, yes. it's also not difficult for business to shift to sustainable model. In fact, 
a less wasteful and a more sustainable way of producing and running businesses is in the interest of the sustainability of the business in so many different ways. You know, the, the new nature economy report is highlighting a number of primary sectors that are depending so much on nature. Obviously, the obvious one is food production, that if nature begins to weaken and productivity is collapsing, those sectors will be affected directly, as much from climate change as from nature loss. The pollinators is an example. The collapse of pollinators will impact two-thirds of our crops and billions and billions and billions of dollars in uh, generated income for this company. So now is becoming a no-brainer. We depend on nature, our business, Profitability and sustainability depend on nature, on natural systems like climate, the ocean, forest, rivers, being healthy and productive. And this is the a click in the, in the mentality, in the culture of the business leaders that I think has just developed in the last maybe five to ten years. And it's actually, I mean, there are great business wins. You were talking about also efficiencies. But let's say if you look at the external ecological costs to doing business, if you really did account for those losses, then right. we're talking trillions of dollars, but yet if you transform your businesses, right, I think the, the economic report, what did it uh, well, suggest it's, in it's, numbers? It's, well, it's, it's suggested that, that half of the GDP of the planet, 44 trillion, is actually depending on natural systems functioning well around us. Right. And so, I mean, that's massive. And you have a climate smart growth that right. could deliver 26 trillion. Right. So actually, the economic benefits to 2030 the business are opportunity around green growth is immense. Uh, starting from new technologies like you know, look at the renewable technology. You know, how, is now fueling uh, more jobs and and livelihoods and revenues than actually the traditional coal and fossil fuel technology. So same can happen in regenerative natural agriculture. Same can happen sustainable fisheries in green infrastructure, in biodegradable plastic, the plenty of business opportunities that will, as I said at the beginning, turn the current footprint of business into positive contribution to win the sustainability challenge. And I think it's time that business ramp up. And, and it's happening, but it's happening at a pace that is still too slow. So our message here in Davos is uh, we know what to do. We know what the problems are. We know what the solutions are. We understand the consequences of inaction. All this is no anymore an excuse to avoid doing what needs to be done. And it's time for the business to embrace this agenda, embrace it fast with passion, with scale, and with speed. And I think this is what we hope to be seeing out of this Davos gathering, particularly in 2020. What can our audience do? to help you advance that agenda? That's a question I get all the time when I go, you know, when I see particularly young people, what can we do? Because there is a sense sometimes of impotence, actually. Um, so first thing is green your lifestyle. We can do so much more in terms of saving energy, saving resources, avoiding food waste, and moving into consuming food that is lower footprint, for example, and many other examples. There are plenty of websites that talk about these things. So green your lifestyle. Second, speak about it and promote this concept to your peers, to your constituencies, to your friends, blah, blah, blah. Speak up, speak out. Thirdly, translate that into voting <laughs> when it comes to electing your government. 
the government is still in a super powerful position. We've seen what happens in some governments versus others. So electing people that are really understanding and keen and committed to a sustainable agenda is fundamental. And then join forces and join voices. So whatever platform, action, organization, movement, be part of a movement because the change that we need to see in the next 10 years is so huge that we need a lot of people aligned, converging, asking, demanding for change. And one of those platforms is the New Deal for Nature. Well, we call it the New Deal for Nature and People because we feel that in 2020, we need to, as we agreed on a climate deal in Paris five years ago, we need to actually now agree on a similar level of ambition for nature and connect the climate agenda to a nature agenda with the same level of ambition, same clear destination, clear targets, and clear engagement of business and government and society. That's what we want to see in 2020, is clear global commitment on the ocean, on forest, on biodiversity, as much as we are beginning to build a commitment on climate. Thank you so much, and thanks for giving us those My references pleasure, Catherine. for Thank our you audiences so much. to check out. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com forward slash worldwide. Have a beautiful day.